Lovely listeners, welcome back. It's Karatia here, and welcome to the British Whisperer, the place to be to know which stories are making the headlines and learn the English you need. On the podcast website, thebritishwhisperer.com, you can find the link to the webpage with food transcript of each episode and its translation in Italian. In this episode, I'm going to focus first on rewriting Royal Dahl, as you probably have heard about, critics are accusing the British publisher of Roald Dahl's classic children's book of censorship after it removed colorful language from works such as Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda to make them more acceptable to modern readers. Next, I will talk about how ChatGPT is threatening Google in the battle for search. What do AI chatbots mean for the lucrative business of searching the internet? And I will tell you what I really think about it. Curious? Just stick until the end of the episode to find out. The tweets, Jaws Marvelous Medicine, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Matilda, Roald Dahl is one of Britain's best-loved novelists and his darkly funny children's stories are known and loved by all of us. But pick up a 2022 copy of one and you may notice some differences in its telling. The publishers at Puffing have made various edits to Dahl's work to bring them in line with contemporary sensibilities, resulting in hundreds of changes to the stories. From the Cloud Man in James and the Giant Peach becoming the Cloud People to Mrs. Street no longer being described as ugly and beastly, but simply beastly. But where does sensible pruning give way to unnecessary tinkering? Words Matter begin the discrete notice which sits at the bottom of the copyright page of Puffin's latest editions of Roald Dahl's book. The wonderful words of Roald Dahl can transport you to a different world and introduce you to the most marvelous characters. This book was written many years ago, and so we regularly review the language to ensure that it can continue to be enjoyed by all today. Put simply, these may not be the words that Dahl wrote. The publishers have given themselves license to edit the writer as they see fit chopping, altering and adding were necessary to bring his books in line with contemporary sensibilities. By comparing the latest edition with earlier versions of the text, The Telegraph has found hundreds of changes to Dahl's stories. Made by publishers for a woke new audience. Augustus Gloop, Charlie's glutinous antagonist in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which originally was published in 1964, is no longer enormously fat, just enormous. In the new edition of Witches, a supernatural female posing as an ordinary woman may be working as a top scientist or running a business instead of a cashier in a supermarket or typing letters for a businessman. Does it make sense? The word black was removed from the description of terrible tractors in the 1970s, the fabulous Mr. Fox. <laughs> this is my really favorite uh, Roald Dahl's book ever. The machines now are now simply murderous, brutal-looking monsters. I really don't understand it. Language related to weight, mental health, violence, gender and race has been cut and rewritten. Remember the cloud man in James and the Giant Peach? They are now the cloud people. The small foxes in Fantastic Mr. Fox are now female. 
and in Matilda a mention of Rudyard Kipling has been cut and Jane Austen added. It's Roald Dahl, but different. Dahl, who died in 1990, is one of the most successful children's authors of all time. Born in Cardiff in 1916 to Norwegian parents, he was an ace fighter pilot during the Second World War before turning his hands to writing. More than 250 million copies of his books, which include novels such as The Witches, The Tweets and Charlie and The Chocolate Factory, as well as his, his memoir, have been sold worldwide. His stories are characterized by dark humor and unexpected twists. This is not the first time that his work has been controversial. The Hoompa Loompas, the diminutive employees of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, have been extensively reimagined over the years. And in recent years, Dahl has been criticized for anti-Semitism, misogyny and racism. But the modern editor of Dahl faces a dilemma. How to retain Dahl's compelling spikiness, which has enthralled generations of readers while bringing it in line with the hair-trigger sensitivities of children's publishing. Booker Prize-winning author Salman Rushdie was among those who reacted angrily to the rewriting of Dahl's words. Roald Dahl was no angel, but this is absolute censorship, Rushdie wrote on Twitter. Puffin Books and the Daily State should be ashamed. The changes to Dahl's books mark the latest skirmish in a debate over cultural sensitivity as campaigners seek to project to protect young people from cultural, ethnic and gender stereotypes in literature and other media, writes the Telegraph. Critics complain revisions to suit 20th century sensibilities risk, undermining the genius of great artists and preventing readers from confronting the world as it is. The Royal Dahl Story Company, which controls the rights to put the books, said work with Faffin to review the text because it wanted to ensure that Dahl's wonderful stories and characters continue to be enjoyed by all children today. The language was reviewed in partnership with Inclusive Minds, a collective working to make children's literature more inclusive and accessible. Any changes were small and carefully considered, the company said. Well, I hope so. But regardless of his personal failings, fans of Dahl's book celebrate his use of sometimes dark language that taps into the fears of children, as well as their sense of fun. Laura Hackett, a childhood Dahl fan who is now deputy literary editor of London Sunday Times newspaper, had a more personal reaction to the news. The editors at Puffin should be ashamed of the botched surgery they have carried out on some of the finest children's literature in Britain, she wrote. As for me... I'll be carefully storing away my old original copies of Dahl's stories so that one day my children can enjoy them in their full, nasty, colourful glory. And so will I, dear readers. What do you think about this? Tell me your comments about the Royal Dahl rewriting by writing a comment on my latest episode image on Instagram or just sending me an email at thebritishwhisper at writeme.com. Let's move now on to AI again, yes, dear listeners, because we are about to see big changes in the way we use search engines and the internet. A tech race begins as Microsoft adds AI to its search engine, writes the New York Times. Amid the tech industry wars lump in decades, industry leaders are predicting an era built on new chatbots and other types of artificial intelligence. A new Microsoft search engine will incorporate a more advanced model of the ChatGPT artificial intelligence system. 
Google plans to release its own experimental chatbot, Bard, and Meta risks being left behind in the AI boom. For more than 25 years, search engines have been the Internet's front door. AltaVista, the first site to allow searches of the full text of the web, was swiftly dethroned by Google, which has dominated the field in most of the world ever since. Google's search engines, still the heart of its business, has made its parent, Alphabet, one of the world's most valuable companies, with revenues of... 283 billions in 2022 and a market capitalization of 1.3 trillion. Google is not merely a household name nowadays, it's a verb. But nothing lasts forever, particularly in technology. Just ask IBM, which once ruled business computing, or Nokia, once the leader in mobile phones. Both were dethroned because they fumbled big technological transitions. Now, tech firms are saluting over an innovation that might herald a similar shift and a similar opportunity. Chatbots powered by artificial intelligence let users gather information via typed conversations. Leading the field is ChatGPT, made by OpenAI, a startup. By the end of January, two months after its launch, ChatGPT was being used by more than 100 million people, making it the fastest-growing consumer application in history, according to UBS. The bank. Artificial intelligence is already used behind the scenes in many products, but ChatGPT has put it center stage by letting people chat with an AI directly. ChatGPT can write essays in various styles, explain complex concepts, summarize text, and answer trivia questions. It can even narrowly pass legal and medical exams, and it can synthesize knowledge from the web. For example, listing holiday spots that match certain criteria or suggesting menus or itineraries. If asked, it can explain its reasoning and provide detail. Many things that people use the search engines for today, in short, can be done better with chatbots. Hence the flurry of announcement as rival firms try to seize the initiative. On February 7th, Microsoft, which has invented more than 11 billion in OpenAI, revealed a new version of Bing, its search engine, which incorporates ChatGPT. Ah. For its part, Google has announced Bard, its own chatbot, as a companion to its search engines. It also taken a 300 million stake in Anthropic, a startup founded by ex-OpenAI employees, which has built a chatbot called Claude. The share price of Baidu, known as the Google of China, jumped when it said it would release its chatbot called Ernie in March. Well, fancy names for this chatbot, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Um, but ch can chatbot can be trusted? Or what do they mean for search in its lucrative advertising business? Do they herald a champeterian moment in which AI topples incumbent firms and elevates upstarts, wonders the Time magazine? The answers depend on three things, moral choices, monetization, and monopoly economics. ChatGPT often gets things wrong. It has been likened to a mansplainer, supremely confident in its answers, regardless of their accuracy. Unlike search engines, which mostly direct people to other pages and make no claims for their veracity, chatbots present their answers as a gospel truth. Chatbots must also grapple with bias, prejudice and misinformation as they, they scan the internet. They are sure to be controversial as they produce incorrect or offensive replies.
Chatbots might also tread carefully around some tricky topics. Ask ChatGPT for medical advice, and it prefaces his reply with disclaimer that it cannot diagnose specific medical conditions. It also refuses to give advice on, say, how to build a bomb. But its guardrails have proved easy to circumvent. For example, by asking a story about a bomb maker with plenty of technical details. As technological firms decide which topics are too sensitive, they will have to choose where to draw the line. All this will raise questions about censorship, objectivity, and the nature of truth. So, can tech firms make money from this? OpenAI is launching a premium version of ChatGPT, which costs $20 a month for a speedy access, even at peak times. Google and Microsoft, which already sell ads on their search engines, will show ads alongside chatbot responses. Ask for travel advice, say, and related ads will pop up. But that business model may not be sustainable. Running a chatbot requires more processing power than serving up search results and therefore costs more, reducing margins. Other models will surely emerge. Ch- uh, charging advertisers for more for the ability to influence the answers that chatbot provide, perhaps, or have links to the website embedded in responses. Ask a ChatGPT to co- recommend a car, for example, and you reply there are lots of good brands and it depends on your needs. But future chatbots may be more willing to make a recommendation. But will people use them if their objectivity has been compromised by advertisers? Will they be able to tell? Behold, another can of worms. Then there is a question of competition. Is it good news that Google is being kept on its toes by upstars like OpenAI, but is unclear whether chatbots are a competitor to search engines or a complement? Deploying chatbots initially as add-ons to search or as a standalone conversation partners makes sense given their occasional inaccuracies. But as their capabilities improve, chatbots could become an interface to all kinds of services, such as making hotel or restaurant reservations, particularly if offered as voice assistants, like Alexa or Siri. If chatbots' main value is a layer on top of other digital services, though, they will favor incumbents which provide such services already. So, Googling the future. Yet, the fact that today's upstars such as Anthropic and OpenAI are attracting so much attention and investment for Google and Microsoft suggests that smaller firms have a shot at competing in this new field. They will come under great pressures to sell. But what if an upstart chatbot firm develops superior technology and a new business model and emerges as a new giant? That, after all, is what Google once did. Chatbot raise hard questions, dear listeners, but they also offer an opportunity to make online information more useful and easier to access. As in the 90s, when search engines first appeared, a hugely valuable price to become the front door to the internet may once again be up for grabs. Who's afraid of ChatGPT? Personally, I'm not. Dear listeners, I will tell you what I think about that. Artificial intelligence is an oxymoron, like virtual reality. A thing can be both itself and its opposite at the same time. Because true intelligence is that genuine, unprogrammable. It's the product of experience. We don't download the world, we encounter it, and sometimes, roughly, we take our lumps, 
we learn the hard way not to stick our ends in the fire. So the best you can say about artificial intelligence is that it's a facsimile of human intelligence, but the facsimile of a thing is never the thing itself. While false eyelashes may look amazing, they aren't eyelashes. A imitation crab meat, uh, may work for a California roll, but isn't meat for a crab. A computer that tells jokes isn't a comedian, it's only well-crafted fake. The same goes with the bot that is telling you which news are worthy of be read. Silicon Valley is run by people holding to different definitions of intelligence than the rest of us. Engineers place a high value on the ability to solve complex problems, such as mathematical issues. But why should everyone live by that standard? Many people are smart about some things and dumb about others. A child knows that solutions can create new problems. The world isn't a mathematical equation. So, ChatGPT joins a long list of big tech products unleashed on the world without adequate forethought. Everyone has simply been required to adjust to the social externalities which aren't imaginary. And we as humans are anxious creatures. A chatbot recently caused a mild media panic when he told the journalist that he wants to be alive. A story in the New York Post quoted a British scientist saying that rogue AI could kill everyone. This is frightening, but, well, hopefully, silly. I mean, I'm thrilled about these new developments, and I'm a bit worried about the outcome. But it isn't the apocalypse. Ours isn't the first generation to frighten itself with technological progress. Nor are we unique in our compulsion to assign human qualities to inanimate objects. But people are more than large language models in skin suits. We are stardust. We are spirits in the material world. We are the world. And Silicon Valley would do well to remember it, dear readers. That brings us to the end of the episode, dear listeners. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, on the website, you can find a full transcript of the podcast and its translation in Italian. If you enjoy my show, please hit subscribe on Spotify or Apple so you don't miss any other episodes. And if you would like to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review. And if you can, a small donation via PayPal. To stay up to date with The British Whisper, you can follow me on Instagram, at the British Whisper and spread the word. You're welcome to share any feedback, thoughts or ideas writing an email to the British Whisper at writeme.com and I hope you can take some valuable information from this episode and apply it to your English learning. And be sure to come back next week for a new episode. Until then, I'm Carotia and this is the British Whisper.